Good, I'd like to ask for your attention. Some refocusing of our exercise, reframing some of our tasks. I'm not sure that I spelled this out last night in the uh, necessary in the necessary brutality. Basically, what rules our attention is Vedana. It's involuntary attention is directed by a pattern of seeking gratification and avoiding displeasure. This is the major uh, economic trade trait in um, involuntary attention. Any attempt to do something other than that entails training, entails skill, entails effort, entails intention, entails patience. That's what they don't tell you when they tell you, just watch your breath and be peaceful. That's where meditation teachers don't let on how difficult this really is, because they only tell you an apparently simple little exercise, just be here now, feel your breath, connect your attention with the breath and let go. And the practice we all know is a little more tricky than that, because while the instruction is simple, Uh, to follow through on that instruction means we meet with all the attentional habituation, with all the unconscious uh, comfort-seeking and displeasure-avoiding. It basically brings us into conflict with our whole gamut of involuntary attentional habits. That's what meditation teachers don't write on their brochures. But you folks are doing this long enough. You, you know, you can cope with the sober facts. And we're going to continue doing precisely this project, cultivating wholesome intentions and reframing attentional patterns, attentional habits. So, Make use of the tool set. We will never quite leave the area of body in whatever is going to come when we do Satipatthana. We never completely leave the body ground. It is as if in rock climbing terminology you would keep one foot on your safe space yeah, while your next foot may move out. The, the foot on your safe ground, the foot on your, on your step that holds while you test the waters, uh, is your body. So we keep shuttling or coming back to our body awareness, to somatic um, attentional focus. And it is from there that we branch out. And if we notice we are lost, we're roped in by something in our minds or something that meets our senses with enough impingement to take us away from our meditation object, we return firstly uh, to the body, maybe to the breath, but to the sensation of 
breathing in the body. Strictly speaking, we do not attend to the breath. We attend to the sensation connected with the breath. So what are moves to turn towards body awareness? First of it is orienting towards. In other words, asking questions. What is there? What can be felt? And then we notice we have a pattern of going to the most dominant sensation. That seems to be the easiest, the strongest, the most dominant. And from there on we try to widen the expanse. We try to get a field awareness rather than just an object awareness. A field awareness that is bigger than the object it has initially contacted. Yeah? So the movement is always meeting the object and expanding. Meeting the object and enveloping. Meeting the object and going beyond the edge. That's what we do with body, so that this body gradually becomes truly conscious. So that we sit here with an embodied world, that this body is a breathed, completely sensed, alive, vibrant organism we have a felt access to. On that basis, samadhi becomes easy, samadhi becomes grounded, samadhi becomes truly embodied rather than being split off into sort of mentalized concept, which may be superficially still, but very brittle and fall apart as soon as the biggest things start happening. So orienting towards gathering sensations, acknowledging sensation, widening into sensations, softening into sensations and melting. Sometimes I can melt into a sensation and sensation when met that way, when contacted in such a way, themselves begin to melt. Well, in other words, my apparently solid uh, body, earth element body becomes an increasingly energetic experience. That's what's happening, by the way, anyway, when your samadhi deepens. What started off to be fairly physical as a sensation becomes increasingly energetic as a field. Yeah. What else is possible? Important seems to be that we, for today, keep emphasizing the ending of things. Ending of sound, ending of a sensation, ending of a smell, of a taste, of a thought. And that we keep hovering in the space that opens at the end of things. We want to touch into that space. We're willing to let go of the object and feel the climate of that space, widening our attention once the breath has ended. What is there? What kind of quality is in that space? Is it wide or narrow? Is it welcoming or hostile? Is it something pleasant or slightly eerie? What kind of space does this mind inhabit when it meets the ending of things, the tapering off, the vanishing point? Yeah. What do I, where do I find myself? Ask yourself this, living at listening into the ending and staying with what's there when things have ended. Maybe this is confusing. 
Maybe I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I look for something to place my attention on. Attention always wants to land on something. What does it do when what it has landed on, what it has hung on to, has ended? That's a good question. What is there when there is no problem to solve? So that's the formal exercise for today. Uh, informally, I'd like you to investigate how your mood, how your climate of mind is affected by differing Vedanas. Yeah. Just make the connection and take note of what happens to you when something pleasant, something unpleasant happens. What happens to your mood? What happens to your field of vision? What happens to your climate of mind? Think of your mind as a sort of as a as a habitat. Yeah. It's a psychological habitat. Many, many factors make up the, the diversity in there, make up the homeostasis in there. Um, and you're interested in how this climate is affected by feeling tone, by Vedana by meeting things that strike you as pleasant or strike you as unpleasant. Just establish a connection between feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, indifferent, and mood, climate, atmosphere, weather. I was asked to uh, restate some of the questions uh, regarding breath, let me respond to that. The five breath questions, which are perfectly non-canonical, so just to make everything clear, I have no Pali words for those. Yeah, they are upayas. They are skill and means. If they are indeed that for you, then please make use of them. And if they are not, then you put them in the toolbox where all the other upayas go, which may come in handy someday, but right now are just a distraction. The first question, to get in touch more intimately with qualities of your breathing experience is depth. How far down in my belly or in my chest or in my um, body at all goes the breath right now? What is its lowest point? I can feel the breath in the body. That would be the first question. The second asks for rhythm. Now, rhythm consists of in-breath and out-breath and the pause. What is the rhythm of my breathing right now? All of these questions have as a suffix the notion right now, yeah? implying that it is not always that way. And how it is right now is not necessarily right or wrong. It's not on that scale. There is no right depth or right length or right texture of breathing it's but if you find out how it is now you're a little closer you're a little more intimate with that dimension of your experience and that helps both your attentional uh, focus can be more precise more refined and at the same time it tells you something about yourself that's the ingenious thing about breathing not just is it very powerful in helping to make the mind still it also is very revealing about your, how you are in this world. Yeah? That's what a mantra does not do. 
a mantra is dead. While it may serve as a stabilizing factor and as a focus for your attentional uh, strengthening, it does not inherently tell you something about your life or your pattern of living, while the breath does exactly that. If you meet your breath and the changes in your breath, you meet yourself, you meet your story, you meet your life, you meet your patterns. That's why the breath is both an insight and a samatha tool. Second question, rhythm. Third question is the tone. Think of it in terms of muscular tone. I understand that the term tone has a number of meanings. I mean, qualities of that tone would be the buoyancy, the vitality that is in your breath. At the same time, the opposite would be flaccidity or um, yeah, the weakness. So the third question, looking at how much tone is in my breathing experience. The fourth is texture. Is this a smooth experience? If that in-breath, that out-breath, if you think of this as a sort of a movement like this, is this smooth or silky? Is this more cat fur or more uh, concrete piping? Yeah, if you stroke with your hand. Yeah, are there jags in there? Is it uneven? Sometimes it's different, you know. Sometimes our breath is rasping. Sometimes we have a little um, dent. Yeah. And the last question refers to the resistance of the body that has to be surmounted for the breath to enter, and or that has to be uh, the energy that has to be produced to make sure that the breath leaves that body again. In other words, it's the amount of work I need to put into breathing. Is it hard work to get that air in and widen the chest? Is it hard work to get that air out? and make the body release the breath. Sometimes we sense it's very easy, both the receiving and the giving. Sometimes we sense the receiving is a lot easier than the giving, or vice versa. If these questions do not apply, the purpose of these questions is to make you more intimate with the experience, with the qualities of your breathing. Do not use these questions the whole time. Use them to deepen your listening, to deepen your quality of meeting and contacting the breath. I was also asked whether the unit for paying attention for the four phases arising, increase, decrease, disappearance is an in-breath or an out-breath and an in-breath. Truth is, it doesn't matter. Uh, since these four phases are present both in an in-breath and in an in-breath and in an out-breath, you make the choice what applies best to you. If you can, try applying them to an in-breath. If you can't, apply them to an in-breath and an out-breath. That will be easier. Personal message to the person who wrote me this note. Uh, don't worry about units. Make sure you're connected with the somatic dimension of this four-phase pattern. That would be the important part.
Good, let's practice.